0: In this final part of our Favored Retreat Talk series, we are sharing the keynote by Sister Josephine Garrett called Living as the Favored One. Sister invites us to reflect on what does it mean to receive the loving gaze of the Father and live differently as women of faith. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle, but rather that we can be rooted in the unconditional love and mercy of God the Father. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Life Beyond the Chariot, a faith and family series from the St. Philip Institute. We believe we are called to not only know but also to live the truth of the gospel within our homes, in our workplaces, and beyond. We believe we are invited to encounter Christ in the messiness of day-to-day life and to live as his disciples.
1: So there's a friend who told me I'm a real erratic driver and the whole time I've been telling Chica, you cannot tell him the things that happened while we were in the car. <laughs> and he literally just called, which I felt like was Jesus telling me, maybe you should just tell him yourself <laughs> and stop hiding your faults <laughs> from in, in your pride. Um, I was, as I was preparing for y'all, I, I felt anxious um, because, you know, Normally, when I go speak somewhere, I leave that place. I don't see those people again. <laughs> but y'all go pop up at Brookshire's, right? <laughs> Telling me what I didn't say right. Like, <laughs> so it's just, I feel very vulnerable, uh, but it's probably for the best. Um, so, I have been here almost five years in the Diocese of Tyler. I, when I came here, it was to do my internship as a counselor at Children's Advocacy Center. Some of my counselor friends are back there. Raise your hands, ladies from the Advocacy Center. Uh, There's only people in Tyler who call me by my government name. Uh, (laughs) But um, I thought I would leave after a year. I didn't think I would be, I thought I would be going back to Dallas. And so when God showed me that I was called to remain here in ministry, God made that real clear. Um, I was like, well, for what, you know, just to, was wondering what I would discover to be the reason for that. And I'm still not entirely sure what the reason is, but I know that it's of God and that it's been a gift to me. Being among the uh, people of God in the diocese of Tyler has formed me in my religious vocation. So it's helped me to grow as a sister. And so I'm so grateful to the people of Tyler because this ministry in Tyler was my first time to minister outside the safety of the sisters. So when I left the novitiate, which is nun school, I the first ministries I had were inside our convents, like for our own community. And so really, Tyler has been just a significant moment for me in my own journey with Christ and um, helping me to grow as a sister. Uh, sometimes they're growing pains. Uh, <laughs> sometimes they're growing in beauty, uh, but always a gift to me. Um, so I, Jackie, can you do me a favor? Can you open the, the door for the projector? So we've been talking about ourselves as little girls and I thought it only fair to show you, <laughs> me, <laughs> my brother. Every time I see this picture, I feel real delighted because of the perfection of my eldest brother's afro. Every time we see that picture, that's all he talks about is how good he looks. And I can't. He is. I don't know what that sailor thing is. I got on, but he is rocking that vest with the pop collar and the afro, like he's doing the era perfectly. <laughs> like, perfectly. You can close it. What you got? I'll get to later. Actually, now in the last like few months, put that picture up on my wall as a reminder for myself of something I perceived in prayer that I now understand was not only for me. Like the spiritual life is very much like that. It is personal and it is public. And so like what God has for me is also for others and it's not just this like one-way street. And so months ago I put that picture up in my room because there was something going on in my prayer life and I needed it for that. And now I'm like, oh God, I see that I needed that, but then it was also for here too. Um, So a little bit about me that y'all may not know, um, I'm the youngest, I'm the only girl. Um, I'm a native Texan. So I grew up in Houston, things. some people say, sister where are you from, and I'll say I'm a Texan, and they'll say, oh thank God, <laughs> and I get that. Um, I'm adopted by my aunt and uncle, so I was raised by my aunt and uncle from the age of eight on, and my family life, you know, Jackie said earlier, our parents um, provide a foundational understanding of God's love for us, and in some ways that goes great and in some ways, they struggle because our parents are human. And our parents don't write that whole story. You know, There's stuff we bring into that and other experiences bring into that. And so my aunt and uncle adopted me when I was eight. My brother was 12 and Chris, the oldest brother, was 17 because my father was struggling with a drug addiction and he eventually took his own life. And my mother was in the throes of mental illness and just did not have the resources available to her and so that was impacting her now. I know I can look back and see at a level it should not have, if she had had the resources available to her. And so that little girl was favored in so many ways. I was spoiled rotten by my father, and it is a grace that my aunt and uncle adopted me because she, my aunt was able to temper some of that down. <laughs> because he spoiled me through and through. Like they just I could do no wrong. Like my brothers would be right and I would be completely wrong, and he'd be like, "How can we figure this out so she's not wrong?" Right? And my aunt really just formed a lot of that out of me. When they adopted us, she sat down with us, her and my uncle, and I feel like they're saints. They're just really beautiful people, but they're like rowdy saints. Like, she will get with you if you push the wrong button. And then she'll pray for you. <laughs> but like, we came, you know, they adopted us, and she sits down and has this like Hallmark movie conversation with us, and she's like, we don't believe in spanking children. There will be no spanking in this house. We just, that's not how we're gonna discipline. And then like two weeks later, she got wind of my smart mouth, and there was some spanking. And I was so smart mouthed that after receiving the spanking, I looked at her straight face and I said, I thought she didn't believe in spanking children. <laughs> so I tell people she really, in her discipline, uh, helped me, refined me. Um, so yeah, entered the Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth. That vocation was a surprise. I had worked for a decade in banking, um, and was an operations manager and a project manager, um, a vice president. I did not think God was going to call that woman to religious life, was so surprised by that vocation. And I'm so grateful to the sisters, like the convent, um, is a place that I feel like is really preparing me, like helping me to be saved and like preparing me for heaven. So I made my final vows as a sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth in November of, 20, or in October, November of 2020. So it was a COVID wedding It's when I got this ring. Um, and even then, like I was underestimating God's favor. Like I was trying to like scale everything down really small. Like none of the things I had hoped for was possible. And then God opened a door to where like everything I had hoped for and things I had forgotten that I hoped for were accomplished like down to the detail of the flowers, like things I hadn't had the nerve to ask for because I thought they were too expensive. Someone just thought to add those flowers in, you know? And so um, my journey has been one of discovering that I have the habit of underestimating the favor that God has in mind for me. And you can psychoanalyze that however you please, right? Maybe it's because my family struggled you know, and the, the availability of basic needs was was at a, t- a point in my life, something that wasn't always met. Maybe it was that, maybe it's my personality type, whatever it would what have you, I struggled with underestimating the favor that God had for me. And so I think when we're gonna talk about favor, we have to go back to our relationship with God the Father. But before I do that, Um, I want to tell you a story about the gospel passage for today. So you've heard it mentioned here and there that today in the church is the solemnity or the feast of the Annunciation of the Lord. So it's the day where we celebrate that Jesus coming into the world in the flesh is announced to his mother, the Blessed Virgin. And in that scripture, if you want to read it later, I'm not going to read it to you, It's the first chapter of Luke and it starts at verse 26 and goes through to verse 38 and when I was entering the convent I was learning to pray before I went to the convent I didn't really know how to pray Um, that wasn't included in my RCIA okay (laughs) because I'm a convert to the Catholic faith and so the sisters knew they needed to teach me to pray And so one of the first ways they taught me to pray was in this tradition of a saint named Saint Ignatius. And he gave us this wonderful way of prayer where we read the scripture and then we kind of imagine ourselves there. And if we feel called to in the prayer, we engage in dialogue with the people in the scripture. And so I was on a retreat and I was assigned this scripture to pray with, Luke chapter one, verse 26 through 38 where the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her she's gonna be the mother of Jesus. And he also tells her that her cousin, who was previously thought of as barren, has also conceived because nothing is impossible for God. And then in verse 38, Mary says that famous line, which we celebrate, the fancy word for it is fiat, which kind of means yes, but it's not just yes, it's yes with your whole flesh. So it's not a yes of the mouth, it's a yes of the body. And so when she says, let it be done to me according to your word, she gives God her body, like her will, all of herself. And so I was praying with the scripture and imagining it, and I love this, because I have a very active imagination, so it ought to be submitted to the Lord. And I was picturing this conversation between the Blessed Virgin and the Archangel Gabriel, and then he left. And I imagined in the prayer that I approached the Blessed Virgin and I said, do you know what you just said yes to? (laughs) Like really? Girl, it's about to get rough. (laughs) And she, in the prayer I perceived that what the Blessed Virgin would have said was no, I don't entirely know what I said yes to. Because how could she? She's human, she can't predict the future, right? She's immaculately conceived, but she's not a fortune teller. And so, when I perceived that her answer probably would've been like, no, not entirely, then I imagined myself saying to her, "The girl, why did you say <laughs> yes, right? We don't say yes unless we have an idea of how it's gonna turn out, and that's why we get mad when it don't turn out the way we wanted it to, because we started out with the vision of it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be so upset, All right? And so it's like, if you don't know what it looks like, why did you say yes? Girl, we don't do that. <laughs> And she said, I perceived in the prayer, because God loves me. And I'm clearly like, you know, I'm like the worst friend to marry in this moment. And I'm like, well, how do you know that God loves you? And I was sat in prayer for a time. How do you know, how do you know, how do you know? And what was offered to me in the prayer was because he made me, God could have made anyone, any way, anyhow, in all his knowledge and all his will and all his ability, and he chose to make you. And all the things he could have come up with, he came up with you. And because he made you, you go with his favor. Because he made you, you walk with his favor. He's interested in what he made. He's preoccupied with what he made. And it was perfectly according to his will. Down to your hair, I'll tell the teenagers I work with, your real color hair, not that dye. <laughs> that's my guy got in mind. I love your dye, girl, I'm not trying to hate, but that ain't your god hair. <laughs> There's that stuff underneath that's growing out with the roots, because it's a whole situation. I can't judge. can't judge. I've been in these streets too at at one point in my life. And so I think when we begin to think about this favor that we walk with in the world, we have to understand God could have made anyone, anything, in any way, and he made you. And so understanding how to live as the favored one begins with your relationship with the Father. And I wanna say to you, I have struggled in my relationship with the Father. So when I entered the convent and was needing to learn to pray, the sister who was my director, she doesn't like that I tell people this story. She's like, they're gonna think I'm mean. I'm like, you're not mean, but you're stern. She's stern. And like the love she, deep love she has in her heart for me, I tell her, it doesn't always make it up to her face, right? (laughs) Like it's just deep beneath the water, right? (laughs) But I know she has a great love for me. She sat down with me, she was my formation director, and she said, describe your prayer life to me. And so I described it to her. And I, you know, I'm a perform like I'm thinking I'm performing and really saying something. And she looks at me, she's a Polish woman, very stern Polish woman. She kind of looks down her nose and she says, you're like one of those women from the scripture who had no oil when the the bridegroom came. And I looked at her and I said, oh, because you grew up Catholic, you may not know a lot about scripture. I said, sister, I don't think you mean that because I think those women went to hell. And she said, oh, I know, would you like to learn to pray? (laughs) (laughs) This is way more intense than it ought to be. (laughs) And then she taught me to pray. She taught me to pray. And she started teaching me to grow in the discipline of silence because silence, Cardinal Seurat, wonderful African Cardinal, he says that silence is not only the language of God, He's very bold and he's not a heretic because he was the guy in charge of all the doctrine. So he's least likely to be a heretic, let's say that. He said, silence is God. And so for me to be able to grow in a life of prayer, I had to grow in the discipline of silence. And it was very small beginning, like I started with 10 minutes and then I did 12 and then I did 15 and then it grew. And finally, I was ready to go on like a three day silent retreat. And it was really beautiful, and I was out for a walk, and I imagined myself walking with Jesus, and I had my hand open, and I imagined that I was holding Jesus' hand. And in the prayer, I thought, Jesus, where are we going? And what I perceived in the prayer was to the Father, always to the Father. And before I could think another thing, I snatched my hand back. When I told my spiritual director about that, he winced. I was like, I don't think you're supposed to do that. I feel like you're supposed to keep a straight face, Father. (laughs) Why aren't you following the rules? That's where I was in my relationship with God, and it was not at a point in my life where I was out in these streets. It was like convent point in my life. And I say that to you so that you're not ashamed because you cannot depart from some imagined place of where you would like to be. You have to depart in the spiritual life from where you actually are where your feet actually are. So if a girl who thinks she has it sewed so together in her faith is, is up in the convent is snatching her hand away from the Father, if that's you, you, you okay, you gonna make it, okay? You gonna make it, because you're on the road. Like, I just need you on the road. And so I had to depart from where I was in my relationship with the Father and grow from there. And so, like I said, my family had a lot of struggles and that informed my approach to God. That may or may not be your story, but I encourage you to find out where you stand with the father now and ask God to reveal that to you so that you can depart from where y'all really are. Cause God is the God of the present moment. So what is living as the favored one? One is putting down worldly favor and slowly letting in the favor of God which is already your inheritance, one for you in Christ Jesus. And it's slow. It's so, so slow. It's the slow work of God. I remember, and when I talk about letting down worldly favor, it's rooting your identity in matters that are worldly. And we know that it's worldly if it's not likely to endure longer than you or if it's going to pass away in the world that makes it worldly because it cannot last. I remember when I left the bank, I thought my job was what I cared about the least. The day I left the bank in order to go to the novitiate, I was crying so hard I had to pull my car over because I could not see. Because I had become so rooted in Tony Garrett, Vice President at Bank of America, that the idea of not being that and having that favor rooted in corporate success It was, those were tears of grief. Those were death tears. It felt like I was dying to not have a title. And so I had to slowly put it down and like slowly receive God's favor because I can't grasp at God's favor. I have to receive it degree by degree. And I stress that it's slow. So sometimes we put one down and then we pick it back up because we're like, oh my God, that feels. And then we put it back down and we pick it back up. And then we receive something as, as God's favor and it demands more of us than we had thought. So we push it back and then we try again. This is, this, this is living as a favored one. It's not a one and done. I wish it was. There have been many nights where I've given side eye to the tabernacle because it's not one and done. Where I'm looking with Jesus and I'm like, how are we still here? How are we still here? You know, with me struggling with clenching my hand to things that are worldly. And what I perceive Jesus say to me in prayer is, we're still here because you underestimate, we have to still be here. And the fact that I'm asking, how are we still here? He tells me, sister, Josephine, Tony LeGale, is because you continue to underestimate your need for me. What I perceive in prayer is when I'm asking, how are we still here, Lord? He's saying, because you continue to underestimate how much you need me and how much healing you need and how much work this is. And then he tells me, you underestimate how much I love it. Jesus is in the tabernacle like, I'm loving this. We working on her. And she's on the road and I'm like, "How oh, are we still here? <laughs> is there a shortcut? Can we go through the woods? Can you carry me, Lord, my legs? Right, I'm looking for a shortcut. And he's loving every step of the journey. Living as the favored one, slowly putting down worldly favor to make space to receive God's favor little by little. And if you pick it back up after you gave it to him, he's used to that, you're not shocking him. There's some, I heard it once said to me, it's like a blow to my ego. If you are shocked by your shortcomings, it's an invitation to increase humility. Um, living as the favor is also about, let me turn this, there it goes, living with an awareness of the nearness that this favor has afforded you. I was talking recently with some like college days girls who were discerning their vocation, and they were like, how do I know, like how do I find God or hear God? And what came to me was something I read once that said, I love sharing this with people, I share it often, that it is almost not proper to say, I have a relationship with God. It's more proper for you to say, I am a relationship with God. Because if God stopped having concern and nearness to you for even a millisecond, you would cease to exist. So the breath that each of us just drew is because of the love that God has for us. We couldn't draw it without God. And this is in the prayer of the church. It's called the Liturgy of the Hours. Every day begins with, Lord, open my lips. Every single day when priests and nuns pray, that's the first thing we say, Lord, open my lips. I can't even open my lips without the Lord. So we breathe and there is God. So when I live as the favored one, it's not about not struggling. Trust me, I've tried. I've tried the absence of struggling way. I, just take my word for it. You will have trouble in the world, as Chica said. And it was a promise, but it is a promise not because God likes for you to suffer. It is a promise because he has conquered it, and he, the final say will be his glory. And so the nearness of God is not about not struggling, and the nearness of God is not about not suffering. The nearness of God is every breath. Mm -hmm. Come what may. Earlier, Deanna said something. She said, you may not have an altar in your home. And I just thought I had to add that in here because God is so near to each one of us, particularly in our baptism, that he has afforded us an authority in the world to transform, to partner with him, to transform the world into a reign of his love. So like imagine love like a river flowing out of Nazareth where Jesus, Mary, and Joseph lived. And you, as a baptized Christian, get to push that river forward in the ordinary events of your daily life and so if you do have an altar in your home it is only a symbol of the altar of your daily life and so as baptized christians you are baptized priest prophet and king and so when god baptized you priest it's not like father hank and them who came they're of the ministerial priesthood when god baptized you priest he baptized you as members of something called the common priesthood And what a priest does is make sacrifices on an altar for the sanctification of the entire people of God. So when you live as a daughter of God and you walk in this favor and you know that the favor isn't contingent on you, the favor is contingent on God. And every little moment you manage to choose virtue, you have managed to sanctify the entire world and made an altar out of your life. And so I would love it if you had an altar in your home with a candle and a picture, something that you like. But I would really love if you walk like a woman whose life is an altar, upon which she can make sacrifices for the sanctification of the world. That's the kind of power we get to have as daughters of God. That's the kind of favor. And it's that kind of favor, not because it's contingent on us, It's contingent upon the Lord. Living as the favored one, it means that dark is not dark at all. Psalm 139. I wanna read it to you again. I was a mess over there when Deanna was reading that. I had snot coming out my nose. And I was like, I hope Jackie don't need a slide because it was a mess. (laughs) It was a mess. But I really was so struck at Psalm 139 verse 12 where it says even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as day for darkness is as light with you last night when I went to the chapel I was tired <laughs> I was real tired and I looked at Jesus in the tabernacle and I said Lord are we going what you? I got a list of things I think I think I want to say but what would you like to say Lord I want to put a bullet point in there for yours <laughs> I know he gets so tired of me um and as I sat there with this scripture, I was shocked because this is a day in the church where we honor Mary and we honor her. It's not her annunciation. It is the annunciation of the Lord. And we honor her because she shows us how to do that in our lives, how to receive the announcement of Jesus. Cause Mary's always going to do that. She wants you looking at her. So you will look at Jesus. Mary don't want you looking at Mary to look at Mary. She wants you looking at her so that you'll look at Jesus. And so I thought when I sat down with Jesus last night that I would look to Mary, but I didn't. I looked to Elizabeth and this line, this last verse 38, 37, it starts at 36 actually. And behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. With God, dark isn't darkness at all. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. When you live as the favored one, in the barren places in your life, God is conceiving something. In the dark places in your life, God is conceiving something. Where it seems like a desert, there will be running water. Where it is dry, it will become a flourishing garden. Because nothing is impossible for God. And so let's put that in practical terms. In your marriage, when you're looking at him and you're like, I can't keep going like this. We've been like this for I don't know how long. He ain't going to change. Both of y'all probably need change. Okay. <laughs> It's rarely a one-way street. (coughs) Both of y'all probably need to change. Think about that. Nothing is impossible for God, for a woman living as the favored one. With this child who you can't get to do what you want him to do. I was talking recently with with a young person who I've known a long time, and I said, these things have always been a reality. It's just costing more. I know sometimes as you're raising these children, you see them struggling with the same habits they always struggled with, but then as they get older, the consequences cost a lot more. And so it feels like a space where you've said everything you can say, you've done everything you could do, it feels like a desert, water's gonna flow. Because nothing is impossible with God. You're single and you wanna be married. And the opportunity for romantic love feels impossible like a desert, like nothing's growing in that space, in that heart, in that space in your heart where you desire it, it seems barren, like a garden without fruit. God is conceiving in that space because nothing is impossible for God. With your kids, with your family, and your health, your health may seem like a barren, dry place. With God, darkness isn't darkness at all. And he is conceiving something. Because nothing is impossible for God. And so living, in the, living as the favored one is knowing that as you suffer, you don't have to run around here doing that toxic positivity. Like I'm so happy, you know, there's this barren space in my life but I'm smiling girl, no. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> living as the favored one is not toxic positivity. Living as the favored one is an, a joy that anticipates the glory of the Lord because he did not promise the absence of suffering. He promised to be the final saint. So earlier, Chica was talking about he didn't put a period on it. In the sentences of our life, in the story of our life, Jesus Christ is the period, and we know how that story ends, and that's why Mary could say yes, because she was a well-formed Jew, and she knew that the Messiah was coming and that the period on her life, no matter what came up in the story, was always going to be the fruit of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he would have the last say, that he put the period on the last sentence. And so I'm not telling you to run around and act like these barren places don't hurt. That's not what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, when you are sincere in your grief and sincere in your struggle, you are a gift to the church because I can assure you there is somebody else having a similar experience to you. So this is not about that toxic positivity. I'm over on my time. I'm surprised you hadn't started strumming to get me out of here. <laughs> if whenever you're ready, you can get me, push me along. This is the last thing I want to share with you. It's a story I'm going to try to tell it really quick. Um, so fast forward from the girl talking about she and the convent and her relationship with Jesus looks so great. In reality, I'm snatching my hand back when thinking about going to the Father. Um, my, my formation director helped me grow to a place in the spiritual life where I was now going for eight day silent retreats. And I was on, a, on that retreat and I got this reflection to pray that asked me to make a sculpture of myself that was a sculpture of how I thought God saw me. And I made, this was like really Attractive, regal-looking woman. <laughs> I'm not regal. <laughs> and like it was that like that white clay that is colorless, and she was like tall and appeared really elegant. And I was like my statue, and I stepped back from it and was like, okay, that's my statue. That's how I think God sees me. And the instructions in the reflection were to not read forward, like to do that first, then read it for more. And so I picked up to read further, and it said now, imagine Jesus walks in the room, and he makes the statue, and you watch him make it. And Jesus, he essentially made her, which I didn't realize until just now. Um, she was this little girl with borets, I love me some borets. Y'all remember that store Wieners? Uh, they, got, they had the best borets. <laughs> And so she was this little girl and she was full of color and she was running, she looked like she was running and she had a head full of barrettes and she had a huge smile on her face. And when I prayed that prayer, it broke my heart and I couldn't explain why. I just knew that my heart broke that I didn't understand how God saw me. And I left the prayer because it was all I could do at that time, I couldn't pray more into that at that time. And I want you to hear me carefully now. It took me two years to return to that prayer. Sometimes we approach the Lord in prayer and we want like these deep insights. But let the Lord take his time with you because it delights him to be with you every single minute. So let him take his time with you. And don't be necessarily looking for all the things that come up in the prayer to be resolved in that same period of prayer. So God resolved that prayer two years later, and as you can see, he's still resolving it. So two years later, I was preparing for final vows, and I was handed a reflection to pray with how God wanted me to go forward as a disciple. And when I sat down in the prayer, I kind of asked the Holy Spirit to help. The first thing I imagined was being back in that room with those statues. And then in the prayer, Jesus shattered the the statue that I had made. And that little girl came to life. And the way I perceived her in the prayer was like running with Jesus, spreading seeds of the resurrection free. And when she fell on her face, she wasn't super overly preoccupied with herself, she just got up and kept running and spreading the kingdom. And then she fell on her face again and she got up and she kept running and spreading the kingdom. She wasn't overly preoccupied with herself. If she made a mistake, she said, I'm sorry, as she ran on. She didn't have a super wounded ego. She just spread the kingdom and was so joyed, overjoyed to be alive in the love of the Father. And so I hope for that for you today, that just a little bit, because this isn't a fix all, that you might be that little girl that at the very beginning of this, Jackie called you to This isn't some psychobabble, God said it. To enter the kingdom, we must become like children, not childish, but trusting and joyful and confident like children, but not confident in ourselves, confident in the one who our favor is contingent upon. Amen? Amen. I am so grateful for you. I am grateful for you. Jackie's gonna lead us in prayer. And then when we do our time of sharing at the tables, our small groups, during this next small group, if you can please pick one person who will kind of represent your table, because we're gonna have a time of gathering the graces. So one person will come up from your table and just for two minutes share like a theme that came up in your small group like as a grace that y'all are taking away. So in this next small group, if you could please uh, pick that person. Um, And I'm gonna close this with a simple prayer. I am so grateful for the Blessed Virgin, um, for her example to me. And so let's pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.